Like it or not, the Second Amendment conversation is going to be huge. Uh, it's, it started yesterday morning um, with uh, Hillary Clinton, actually, uh, pushing it. And um, there's going to be a lot of talk about it in a couple of weeks. There's a couple of votes coming up this week, so that's, that's going to be a hot issue. And as uh, one texter pointed out, when you've got no like religion, political motive, there's so much more focus on the guns. Because everybody's got to put their anger or, or how do we fix this somewhere. Yeah. And so it's going to go to the Second Amendment. So, uh, Actually, 538's out with some interesting information about mass shootings today. That's uh, surprising to me from them. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, old friend uh, Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, who currently does his lawyering for the Goldwater Institute, trying to get going or get back all that is good and decent in this fine land. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Is that your title, what I just said? Yeah, that, it's a bit long, so uh, we we kind of shorten it down to Tim the lawyer. But yes, yeah. it's uh, that's right. And, and it's and I wanted to give my condolences to you guys on the on the death of Tom Petty because I know that that you know these artists out there who whose work means a lot to us. It may seem kind of silly to get to say, oh gosh, a celebrity passed away, and I'm sad about it. But it no, it means a lot, and I know you guys are big fans, so I'm well, sorry about. Yeah, that. anytime a human who brings you a lot of joy passes away, number one, it's disappointing yeah. and sad because you have affection for him. Number two, it reminds you that. You know, none of us are get the uh, get the pass. You yeah. know, it's, we don't. No, no. We need to talk after the show. I need to know if you're currently bearded or not, Tim. I can. I need to picture you smooth faced or bearded. I am, and and just for you, bearded. Now I am stroking my beard in the okay. possible manner. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. And I saw your lovely wife Christina on Book TV the other day. Cool. Well, she's got a book out. So congratulations to both of you. You're a power couple. Thanks. Yes, and actually today is a big day at the Goldwater Institute. As we speak, Congress is holding hearings on our right to try bill. Now, this is a bill that you guys have been following for a long time that allows terminally ill patients the right to access medicine that the FDA has not yet fully approved for sale. The FDA has approved it and said it's safe, but is not, has not given its final sign-off to allow these drugs to be sold. And our right to try legislation allows terminally ill patients to decide for themselves whether to take those medicines instead of having to beg the FDA to give them some special permission. That bill passed the Senate unanimously a while back, and it's now before the House. And the House is holding day-long hearings today on whether to make a federal right to try law. And I would hope that your listeners, if, you, if this matters to you, please contact your congressman and tell them to support this bill. We need to, to open up the opportunities for people who are terminally ill to access medicines that are safe, but that FDA bureaucrats are, 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 have not yet approved. And those things can sit on the shelves for years, even though they could save people's lives or, or improve their lives today. And often are being used to wonderful effect in other industrialized countries around the world. That's uh, right. A they, lot of the time, patients in the United States have to fly to Europe or something in order to get treatment, and that's disgraceful. People should be allowed to use those medicines here. So Right to Try allows that, and, and again, if the, the Congress is hearing it today, and it's really important that Congress people hear from their constituents that we want this law. Uh, Tim Sandifer on the line. Tim, we need to get into the Supreme Court's uh, docket. It's, it's a big one, a blockbuster one, but before we go there, uh, we know, and, and longtime listeners know, um, it's, you'll certainly never forget that you lost your brother at the Islamist shooting uh, at San Bernardino a couple of years ago. Um, do you have any thoughts in the wake of the horrors of Las Vegas? 
Well, actually, just before the break, you guys said something that, that hit it right on the nose, which is people in the wake of, of tragedies like this, they often ask why, or they look for some reason or explanation for it, and it's perfectly natural. But the bottom line is there really is no why, because evil acts of destruction have no explanation. Only creation or building or making something meaningful in the world, that is the only thing that has a reason or a justification to it. So when you look around and you're asking why, don't look at the, at the idiot who's shooting people. Look at the, at the heroism, at the, at the people who helped people and saved people, the people who make something meaningful as a response to this. That's where the meaning is. So in, at moments like this, it's so shocking and horrific. You know, you're looking for an explanation. There really is no explanation. There's no point in spending your time asking what made this man do this sort of. Yeah, of course, you know, take some steps, whatever necessary to prevent future occurrences, of course. But when you're looking for some deep philosophical meaning to it, the deep philosophical meaning is in the people who do the good things. Wow, that's beautifully put. And and the flip side of that coin is that when you do get to the, the root of the evil, it is almost always the same completely banal that's right just envy i think what it is is it's envy um you know john milton my favorite poet in paradise lost he describes what it is that motivates satan to to try and destroy eden where where adam and eve are and his he doesn't actually explain it except he uses the word envy it's jealousy people who are who hate other people because those other people are happy and and they they have no no meaning or or essence in their own lives nothing significant in their own lives they've not created anything or built anything wonderful or meaningful themselves instead they just sort of have this empty Usually they don't even understand it themselves, just a sense of hollow emptiness to them. And they do something like this to draw attention to themselves that they know they don't deserve. And so that's the only meaning there is. It's the the lack of meaning and the fact that they know that there is no meaning. And that makes them hate themselves and that makes them hate other people. I don't want to take all our time on this, but it's going to be a huge topic for the next couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years. Um, You have any thoughts on the gun issue that pop into your head? Things like this do not change my view that the Second Amendment is right to protect every American's right to possess firearms to defend themselves. Uh, Even if the Second Amendment didn't exist, I would say that every person has a fundamental right to possess weapons to defend themselves. And the Founding Fathers were right to protect that right in explicit terms. We didn't ban trucks in the wake of the terrorist attacks where people are being run over by trucks. Uh, We don't, you know, we don't. And yet there seems to be this attitude that if you're not in favor of confiscating guns, that therefore you don't really care. Well, I can tell you that I, for one, do care. And what I care about especially are the the negative consequences that would follow from taking people's guns away or making it harder for them to obtain it. All that results from that is making it harder for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves. And can you imagine what actually confiscating guns in this country would do? We saw what prohibition did when it was just alcohol, but the attempt to actually take people's guns away, would the downsides to that would, would make Las Vegas look like nothing. It would be a, it would be a horrific uh, thing to try to do. So, no, I, I, this, does not, this sort of thing it does not change my view that people should be free to possess firearms to, them, to defend themselves. Now, it's true. They, they probably couldn't have defended themselves in a case like this. But if you take away their guns after this, what happens the next time around? What happens when somebody needs a weapon to defend themselves and don't have it? And we often don't hear about those cases. Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute and philosopher. Tim, my only quibble with your uh, thoughts on gun control is the uh, phrase, just alcohol. 
in discussing prohibition. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> sorry, you you guys are much more expert on that issue than I am. All right, so listen. Uh, obviously, we're going to have you around for another segment. Do you want to do uh, one of the cases that the Supreme Court's about to take on? Uh, anything in particular you're hot to trot about? Then we'll cover the rest of them on the other side of the break. Is well, that the right? one I know you guys must be excited about is the union dues case. Oh. This is the follow-up on the union dues case from last year that unfortunately got deep sixed because Justice Scalia died and they weren't able to decide it. And this case is going to, to decide whether it's constitutional to force people, government employees, to support government unions that they disagree with. That's been going on for a very long time. And we recognize everywhere else in the law that it's not okay to force people to subsidize views or opinions that they don't believe in. And yet here in the union context, it's okay to take their money away for, out of their paychecks and use it to support a government union that goes and lobbies for m- bigger government and more gov- government spending. That doesn't make any sense at all. And fortunately, the Supreme Court has taken up this issue yet again. It's kind of punted on it for three or four cases, and now it looks poised to actually make a difference and protect the rights of workers to so not if, be forced. if the Supreme Court says, no, you can't make people uh, give union dues for this, what would, how would that change our policy? What would happen is the unions would have to ask first, and the unions really don't like that because they know that if they ask permission before taking people's money away, people will say no, and that would dramatically weaken the union's political power. Right now, I think it, I always laugh when people say, oh, well, you libertarians, you're all funded by the Koch brothers. Well, the Koch brothers at least choose to give libertarian groups money. Whereas the unions, their supporters don't even have a choice of the matter. They're forced to subsidize the, the overwhelmingly liberal politics of government unions. So it would change the political system, I think, in a dramatic way. Particularly in corrupt California and other uh, union-friendly blue states on the West Coast, I would suspect. All right, quick break. Then I want a prediction on geeks. <laughs> oh, I, want, I want Tim to predict how the Supreme Court is going to rule on geeks. Geek aches. Uh, the case everybody cares about for some reason. Do people like cakes that much? They like, uh, I don't know. And uh, also the, the gerrymandering case could have a huge effect on American history. Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer. We'll get into Dred around. Scott, Plessy versus Ferguson. No, we Mayberry won't. versus... No. Uh, you do it on your own time. No. <laughs> Did you say Mayberry? <laughs> Mayberry versus Barney Fife. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Cool Tom Petty music all day long with his passing yesterday. We got this, uh, what's, what's Tim the Lawyer's favorite episode of Perry Mason? We don't have time for that sort of nonsense. Idiots. Thank you for tuning in. Tim Sanifer is the Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, Tim the Lawyer rejoins us now. We, what? we got this text. <laughs> Mayberry versus Fife resulted in a 5-4 decision to nip it in the bud. <laughs> you gotta be a Andy Griffith fan to enjoy that one. I tip my cap to you, <laughs> oh wordsmith via the text line. <laughs> uh, so, Tim, what's next? Well, the Supreme Court, the reason Tim's on now, well, as if we need a reason, but the specific reason is that the Supreme Court has a, a, a session just starting up with some blockbuster cases. Can we talk gerrymandering? I absolutely, and I and the uh, the reason why you might be normally reluctant to do so is because gerrymandering sounds so technical and boring, and in some ways it is. But this is by far the case that has the potential to have the most long-lasting impact on American politics. No question about it. If the court goes in one direction in this case, it could revolutionize how 
politics works at the state level, which is to say how politics works in this country. So the current state of things is one party or the other party or both parties get together. They they draw these tortured, premeditated districts for specific political purposes. So they'll keep a seat or both seats are safe or what have you. And when right. does that cross the constitutional line? Is that what we're asking? Exactly. And the, the, what happened here was the Wisconsin legislature, you know, we have these incredibly sophisticated computer programs nowadays that can design legislative districts down to the tiniest detail. And, and so the Wisconsin legislature used that to plan out these legislative districts that are so well designed that even if the Republicans end up losing statewide support by a really large margin, they could still control the legislature. They've designed this thing so in such a sophisticated, clever way. And so the lawsuit is, is about whether that's constitutional. And the problem here is that really the only thing in the Constitution that even talks about this even in a, in a distant way is the 14th Amendment that says that people should, might, should not be denied the equal protection of the laws. Well, that's a very general statement. And so the question is, does this kind of sophisticated redistricting violate the equal protection rule by weighing some people's votes more than other people's votes? Because if, if I'm in one of these protected districts and I vote for my uh, state representative, that has more political influence than you in your j- district voting for your state representative. So does that violate the equal protection rule? So why can't we just like make a grid of the country and have every district equal in population and not, quote, draw districts at all? I mean, what's the simplest thing we can do? That actually would be, I think, the best thing to do would be a, a perfectly square grid pattern. The problem that all is that that would also violate the Constitution, according to the existing Supreme Court precedent. Back in the 60s, when they, the Supreme Court changed how this all works by issuing a decision saying that one person, they call it one person, one vote. And what that means is that everybody's vote has to basically have the same political influence. Well, if you think about it, the U.S. Constitution violates that because a senator, every state has the same number of senators, even though some states have way more population than other states. So your vote in one state counts differently than somebody else's vote in another state. And so that basically holds the U.S. Senate to be unconstitutional. More looking at you, Wyoming. Go on, and Tim. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, well, you know, that was the bargain they struck in the 1780s, so we're, we're stuck with it. I mean, that doesn't make much sense. But as a result, you can't have these geographic boundaries where the, the consequence is that some people's votes count for more than other people's votes. And so that's why you can't do the, the grid pattern, which I think would be the, the most sensible thing to do. I was reading about uh, Austin, Texas, for instance, which is a, a liberal, very liberal town in a very conservative state, and it's carved into five pieces so that they don't, in the, in the five pieces they have, they don't have enough uh, political power to sway those particular pieces. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that and the reverse happens in other states. And that's not good because the people of Austin, for instance, have more in common with a representative than they do with the people out in the rural areas outside of there that they get carved off into. And seems the, to me what the, what the Supreme Court has said is that something violates the equal protection rule if it is not rationally related to a legitimate government interest. In other words, something has to be reasonably designed to accomplish something that government is supposed to do. So what is the legitimate government interest here? And the question then is, is it legitimate for political parties to redesign these political boundaries in order to benefit themselves? 
My view is I don't think it is, but I'm not sure what better system you can come up with because, you know, you can't trust politicians with politics. It's too important. That's why we designed a constitution that prevents politicians from having control over politics. But we didn't put into that constitution any rules for how to design legislative districts. And if you tried to put in those rules, they'd be so complicated. I don't know how you could possibly do it. So I think the court is just – if they do anything here other than send this case back and say we're not going to decide it, then they open up an immense can of worms that maybe should be opened, but I don't know what you do with those worms. And does anybody wow. know how it would turn out? Everybody says this would be huge, change the political landscape. But does anybody know in what direction, or would it just be well, a mishmash? No, I don't think you can say in what direction. I think it depends on whether the state is a red or blue state. Right. And, and in fact, if, you know, the red-blue map is very misleading anyway. If you look at it at the county level, it's sure. a very purple country, very 50-50. So I don't think you could really predict today what the consequences would be. But over the long run, oh, it would be an immense change to how state politics work. Speaking of people who enjoy the color purple and various shades of lavender, let's talk about the gay cake issue. <laughs> Boy, wow. that was a transition. That is a Good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim Sandifer on the line. Uh, so uh, the, the the whole, uh, how do you see the case, the Colorado well, Baker? Yeah, on one hand, the que- the question is, on, one, on the one hand, you know, we have these civil rights laws that say that businesses cannot pick and choose their customers in a discriminatory manner. And those were designed, obviously, in the wake of slavery to prevent white supremacist businesses from refusing to serve black customers. And on the other hand, a business owner should have the right to decide who to do business with, right? So how do you draw the line between those two principles? And when it comes to an expressive issue, like a a matter of personal self-expression, for instance, art, you can't force an artist to paint a painting that says something you want him to say because that person has a right to free speech. And so that's what the cake bakers are arguing here. They're saying that basically this cake decoration and things like that is a form of expression, and we shouldn't be forced to express ourselves in ways that we disagree with. And I I, I think that's probably the principle that's going to win out, and it's a relatively narrow principle because then, you know, hotel owners, they can't say that it's a form of self-expression to turn away a customer from a hotel, and so that way you have a limited impact. You rule in favor of the baker, but you have a limited impact on how things go forward. I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Here. Do those well, signs at, at, at any business I've been to that says we have the right to refuse service to anybody, do those hold any water? Or are they just signs? Nope. Nothing. None at all. None at all. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's sort of in that if you're if there's somebody comes in and is disruptive and and obnoxious, yeah, the guy, the owner can throw them out. But when it comes to protected categories or even categories that look like they could be protected, then no, you, the a business mm-hmm. would face a lawsuit. All right, we're going to skip the whole workers arbitration thing because it's boring. Good. And and yes. And and get to your real bailiwick, or one of them, uh, which is privacy. Carpenter versus U.S., uh, how private is the location data that your cell phone company has on you? This is a, this really is another blockbuster case. When the the Supreme Court has said that you don't, the government doesn't need a warrant to get information that you have voluntarily given to some other person. They don't need a warrant to get it from that other person. So if I if I tell somebody, hey, here's a secret. Did you know that I'm involved in illegal drug smuggling? Then the government can get that person's information, get the information from that person without needing a warrant. So this third party doctrine. Well, my cell phone is constantly buzzing all the cell towers to. Tell tell the towers where my phone is. That's voluntarily disclosed to the third party, which is the cell company, right? 
On the other hand, nobody even knows that this is what's going on. They don't think about it at all. It seems unrealistic to say, well, we're going to veto the warrant requirement in your case because you voluntarily gave up your location five years ago when you signed up and bought an iPhone. I mean, that seems pretty unrealistic. And this is a huge deal because I use Gmail. And every single email that I send is stored in some form by Google, which is a private company. And I am voluntarily giving them all this information, tons of information about myself. And if the warrant requirement doesn't apply there, my goodness, uh, what, what, what would be left of it? So I think that's why this is such a crucially important case. The, the court is going to have to deal with this third-party doctrine in a way that protects our rights. Is there anything with the cell phones at some point? where um, it's unrealistic to operate as a human being in America without having a smartphone. I mean, it's, it's getting more and more difficult to do. You, just, you practically can't live your life. So th- does that play a role at all in how voluntary it is? It does. In fact, uh, there was a case just a few years ago about whether the police needed a warrant to open a person's cell phone and look at at the data on it, you know, to uh, slide the unlock uh, slide across. And the Supreme Court said, yes, you need a warrant to do that because people's uh, cell phones are basically more than their wallets. They're everything about their lives and they carry uh, carrying them around with them in their pockets. Of course, you need a warrant to get that kind of information. Yeah, I I think the court is aware of that. Well, I certainly hope that uh, thought prevails. Are you optimistic? Uh, yeah, I am. Although I'm not really sure how they how the ruling can be done in a way that doesn't, you know, set it up for yet another challenge down the line. That's the great thing about being a lawyer is that the work never goes away. You decide one case in vague, ambiguous terms, and then you guarantee there'll be another lawsuit tomorrow. And so we, we're this is permanent employment for us. Well, if, Tim, uh, that long answer did what I know you were trying to accomplish. You got us to seven thirty-one, which gets you another quarter hour since you charge us by the quarter hour for all this stuff. <laughs> bastard, grasping bastard. Hey, as long as you're on the line, uh, uh, my final question is, uh, if you could get one case in front of the Supreme Court, one issue, and then make them listen to you, what would it be? Well, this is a little bit nerdy, but there's a case from 1873 called the Slaughterhouse Cases, in which the Supreme Court basically erased an entire clause from the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. In fact, the most important clause. And that clause is the one that says that the government, uh, the state uh, governments may not take away the privileges or immunities of citizenship. That was supposed to be the primary constitutional protection against state government violations. And in the 1873 case, which was the first case in which they ever interpreted this line, it basically erased that line from the Constitution, and they've never gone back and enforced it, which is just insanity, absolutely wrong. And it was, it was such a wrong term that the court has been trying to make up for it for many years, for ever since. And I would go. I would try and get them to overturn that decision and go back to enforcing the 14th Amendment the way that it was written to protect us against state bureaucrats. If your constitutional rights are going to be violated, they're overwhelmingly more likely to be violate by, violated by the state, by state government officials or by local government officials. That's and interesting. Main, one of the main reasons why is because the court doesn't enforce the 14th Amendment the way it was written. That is interesting. Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Tim, it's always a pleasure. Thanks a million. Thanks. And everybody, please do check out our Right to Try efforts at goldwaterinstitute.org. Goldwaterinstitute.org. We'll have a link at our website. Harass your Congress people. Thanks, Tim. We'll talk to you soon. You never ask Tim the lawyer a question. He says, I don't know, I suppose. No, he just... I don't care. He, he just has an answer. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's eloquent. <laughs> and, and you know... Interesting. Yeah, and a bunch of facts at hand that he doesn't have to look up. It's just... 
my brain works at like 1% the speed of his. Mm. And I'm probably being uh, flattering to myself when I say that. <laughs> I went back and I watched that book TV interview where he was debating some guy oh, about yeah. the Constitution. Wasn't that great? And you just see the life leave <laughs> his opponent. When he starts <laughs> quoting the declaration, and the guy starts reading it to me, he says, you don't need to, I have it memorized. And then he goes through and he says, right. see, I told you I have it memorized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's awesome. And he was stroking his beard, which yeah. really is a good move. <laughs> uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, President uh, Trump's comments about gun control raising some eyebrows this morning. And we've got worrisome reports about the new iPhone 8. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Giddy. Warnings about the iPhone 8. Catch on fire, burn your grundle, that sort of thing. Mm, Lord. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Favorite semi-obscure Tom Petty hit, You Wreck Me. Oh, yeah. Michael, like that yeah. song. You know, I was going to make a request, too. Uh, you you got to play... Hit the... or deep cut? It was a minor hit. Hmm. You're so bad. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, my God. That's that's my favorite, uh, favorite Tom Petty lines, probably. My sister got lucky, married a yuppie, took him for all he was worth. Now she's a swinger, lives with a singer. I can't decide which is worse. <laughs> but not me, baby. I've got you to save me. That is, oh my God, that is so true right there. You look around you and you think, I have a healthy relationship. Thank God. Always love that song. What song is it? You're so bad. Got it. Is that a limerick? Was that in limerick prose? No, I don't believe that's a a limerick. (laughs) Yeah, so bad. Sounded a lot like Bob Dylan sometimes. My sister once lived in Nantucket. (laughs) Married a yuppie who... Nah. Uh, Uh, Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Now, President Trump says the man who carried out the deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history was sick and demented and very likely could have done even more damage than he did. Now, the president was asked by reporters... If it was time now for new gun laws, he praised the police response. What happened in Las Vegas is in many ways a miracle. The police department has done such an incredible job, and we'll be talking about gun laws as time goes by. It was that last part of the statement that had some people going, Burr? Yeah, yeah, and again, a major left turn on guns by the president wouldn't surprise me a bit. The whole, you know, I think anybody who does that is clearly crazy, but I don't think you are by definition crazy if you uh, you plan that. You certainly didn't snap if you've been planning it for, some people think he's been planning it for years. He certainly was at the hotel for four days carrying in stuff and setting up the guns without the the capacity to think, maybe I don't want to do this at any point. And the fact that he killed himself before he could be shot means he didn't think he was you know, the Messiah or Bulletproof right. or something like that. Well, psychopathy is a particular sort of mental illness, if you want to call it that, that it's, it's you know, it's, uh, well, to get a little artsy on you, it's like, uh, you know, the last song on the dark side of the moon. Everything is on is in tune, but the sun is eclipsed by the moon. So there is no sanity that trumps psychopathy you will do the unthinkable even though you're perfectly rational his dad was a psychopath according to the fbi which is interesting former fox news host bill o'reilly weighing in on gun control calling the mass shooting at the vegas music festival the price of freedom his comment coming in a blog post on his website 
O'Reilly writing, the massacre is the price of freedom and that violent nuts are allowed to roam free until they do damage no matter how threatening they are. O'Reilly saying Americans have a right to arm themselves for protection, adding even the loons. Will he give me the last word? Because I want to go back to the, what the president said. You know, it's entirely possible all he meant was, listen, for God's sake, can we just mourn for a day and we will talk about gun laws. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that certainly uh, I mean, can be true. Yes, it, that will come up because it has to come up. Now, how about that CBS exec who's fired, as she should be, for putting out that tweet, they're a bunch, you know, basically they're a bunch of Trump fans and they deserved it. I mean, Here just, you go. Quote, I'm not even sympathetic to the victims of the shooting because, quote, country music fans are often Republican. Yeah. Who, yeah. who says, <clears throat> excuse me, who says something yeah. like that? And she was one of the uh, chief legal beagles for CBS, too. Unbelievable. Yeah, was mean, she drunk when she said that or it, what? Well, if you have that thought, it's sick. If you express that thought out loud as the darkest of dark humor, I'd say you're sticking your neck way out. And if you committed to writing in a Facebook post, you're some sort of sicko. Now she's got a very, very eloquent apology. Very heartfelt, complete, just an unreserved apology. I don't know. You know, I'll I'll take an apology for virtually anything if it's sincere. Right. I don't get how the first thing happens at all. So I don't know how to weigh it against the apology. How in the name of... Uh, I tell you what, we have a sick, sick country where somebody would even think in those terms. Would think party before not only country, but party before humanity. You're sick, lady. F off. You know what? Seriously. Go to hell. Go away. I never want to hear your name. I never want to hear a single thought you utter. One final note. The iPhone 8's been out for barely a week, but we're already seeing a pair of odd reports about the device. In two cases, one in Japan, one in Taiwan. In one case, the user was charging the phone when she reports it suddenly snapped apart. In the other, a woman in Japan received her uh, new phone only to discover it had separated in transit. Now, PC Mag is reporting Apple's investigating the situation, and they've already gotten hold of the Taiwanese device to take a look at it. Two phones on the other side of the world? Oh, come on. Who well, knows what happened there? Well, they're talking about two basic reasons this could be happening. One, the glue being used to hold the phone together is weak or improperly applied, and that's They bought iPhone break. knockoffs. That's what happened. And the less good alternative is that this is the result of the battery swelling inside the phone. I got my wife the SE for her birthday. That's the one that's still the old small size because she likes that size. You can't. I didn't know it, but you can still buy the iPhone in that other smaller size. Right. Like the current smaller size or like the old smaller size? The old size? smaller size. Really? Like yeah. S- smaller than this one? Because I don't have like the newer big one. Uh, what, what? Where's mine? Right here. Is that smaller? Who, who is this yeah, bigger? That size. Look so at these sign, two yeah, juveniles. Yeah. Who's yeah. this bigger? You can still get that size if you want now yeah, yeah. some of you carry around the phablets yes that are uh i don't know how you fit those in your pockets but. yeah put it in your coat pocket put it in your shirt you pocket. wear cargo shorts yes works fine yes Goes i perfectly do perfectly in my fanny pack but a lot of girls like the smaller phones because they oh. have smaller pockets and that whole thing gotcha that's your news i'm marshall phillips here i'm starting getty show voice of the west apple tried to do away with them and realized there's a huge market out of there particularly women that like the smaller phones so they One, kept them around two, well three, as a glute four. man because the alternative uh, term is very coarse. As a glute man, I don't appreciate the phone in the back pocket. You don't? No. Sorry, gotta listen to the song. Now she 
Heartbreakers as a band, I could bore you for 20 minutes without effort on what an incredible band they were, and it's, you know, I hate to lose them. Is there, like, a, a divide between Petty, like, heart, there's some Heartbreaker loyalists and the stuff he did without them is no good or anything like that, like the, the pre-Electric Dylan, post-Electric no, Dylan sort no, of stuff? I don't no, think okay. so. I think maybe you're a little bummed for the guys in the band, but they ended up playing all those songs, and I think they're fine. Tom Petty all morning long and lots of other stuff. Jimmy Kimmel uh, got political again and and broke down again over the whole gun issue. Maybe we'll play a little of that later, because I guarantee you that's going to play a role in the discussion. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Did you know the Tom Petty died years ago imposter thing that has been on the internet for decades? We'll tell you about that, that later. Also, this new software. Is that you drumming, Sean? Sorry. Also, Jeez. is that the table? The table shakes. Also, new software that you can talk into and then make the computer mimic your voice, which people are going to abuse in a number of ways. We'll tell you about that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Yeah, I'm telling you, that story, I find it both, wow, amazing, and holy crap, scary. Stay with us. So here's a whole quote from that CBS executive, then I want to move on. Drop a C-bomb on her, Joe. Do it. No, no. America would be with you. She deserves it. Yeah, well. She says, if they wouldn't do anything when children were murdered, I hope, I have no hope the repugs will ever do the right thing. I'm actually not even sympathetic because country music fans are often Republican gun toters. Wow. So it's apparently a uh, reference to Sandy Hook and the children and and uh, gun control and the rest of it. So right. let's keep demonizing people who see uh, issues differently. Let's make them less than human. Not only demonize them, they deserve to be shot and killed while attending a concert. Right. And if they see uh, issues, constitutional issues, more you know differently than you, then yes, that the, their deaths mean nothing to you. I would say that is ideology-induced psychopathy, uh, which is a term and a concept which I have just invented and will surely influence psychology for years to come. <laughs> Actually, it's it's kind of known. It's why we demonize our opponents in war. We make them less uh, than human because that makes them easier to kill because it's not easy to kill people for normal people. Very briefly, and then perhaps we will reconsider this later. The headline, well, you know, the headline is is convoluted. Long and short of it, Eric Holder and other justice officials during the Obama administration made Tom Price and his private jet chartering activities look pathetic. Tom Price is a, he just was forced to quit. Because he'd taken unnecessary, unnecessary, overly expensive chartered flights when he could have just flown commercial and r- ripped off the taxpayers. Eric Holder and his people made Tom Price look like a granny who flies once every 10 years to see her grandkids. The numbers are amazing. See, they did it routinely, all the time. Do you see a difference for the Attorney General? Because I heard some people using uh, the Secretary of Defense throughout the years as an example. Well, the Secretary of Defense, of course the Secretary of Defense can't be flying 
Southwest Airlines. The Secretary of Defense has to have all the communication of the world, blah, 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 blah. Sure. But how about the Attorney General? Do they need to? I don't know that they do. Uh, I think they could they fire don't a commercial. They need to all the time. So, Tom Price, gone for private jets on five separate flights for official business. Uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller, when director of the FBI, took 395. Uh, Eric Holder. I can't find the number for Eric Holder. It's a pile. It's a buttload. We'll have to revisit that. Is this Tom Petty during his jazz phase? I don't. Yeah, it's called Airport. I don't actually even know this song. Uh, we got a lot more on the way in the Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> 